No Exit with Nicholas Corys contains explicit language and content. Listener discretion is advised. Augustus Milo, son of Augustus Earl, eight years proper. A resident child from outside the small town of Lancastershire was collecting sticks for his father one warm afternoon, and after an unsuccessful day, found himself deep within the woods. Father had strictly forbidden him to go northward, never explicitly told him the reason why. Because it is dangerous, was all his father would say, dismissing the idea in its entirety. Of course, Milo always left it at that, for he knew better than to press the idea with the old man and arouse his temper. Today, however, as such that Milo had trouble finding sticks on his usual path, he somehow began to veer a little northward. And soon, after much walking, he had found himself at a little pond he'd never seen before. It just so happened to be a lovely, cool place, perfect for a warm day, with bushes and trees, dragonflies floating through the air, while other insects mulled about to and fro. It was so much unlike the hustle and bustle of his village with all of its gray brick masonry and its filthy smells hanging overhead. This place felt like a magic place, a strange place where a curious calm could be felt everywhere. Milo had soon found himself at the edge of the pond. He put his sticks down on a large flat rock that protruded out into the water and lay on his stomach, facing out into the pond. He looked around and saw the mouth of a creek that poured into the pond from a shadowy part of the woods. He then looked down at his reflection. Finding himself at ease, he began to relax and let his mind drift. He was ready to let himself fully descend into the moment when he heard a small noise, a bubbling in the pond. His eyes searched but saw nothing at first, then quite quickly, he saw a small blue fin rise up through the water and dip down. He'd seen a fish or two in his lifetime, yet something about the sight of this particular fin caught him off guard and made him feel somewhat even frightened. Milo rose up, quickly gathered his sticks from the rock, and hurried his way home. Though he felt cowardly about this, he also felt he was much too out of his element right now to want to discover any more new things today. Later that night, he and his father sat by the fire after a small meal of cooked grains and limp green onions. After their meal, his father whittled on a small piece of wood. It was silent. Milo cut the silence and spoke. Father, he said, I saw something today. I was at a pond and I saw something that looked like a fish, but it's hard to describe. It could not have been a fish. Mm-hmm said his father, giving him only a slight glance up from his whittling. And if it were not a fish, and it were in water, then what could it be? I do not know, Milo said. Only that I have seen a fish, and I did not get the impression that this was quite a fish. His father sighed. And where did you see this? A pond, up and over, through the trees, he said, fidgeting, his fear growing as he knew he was already making his father irritable. I had never seen it before. You have never taken me to it. It was lush and beautiful, and there was a mossy creek that connected to it, and I saw the ripples in the water and the... His father stopped whittling. You were northward, weren't you? I have specifically told you not to travel up that way. The boy uttered a slight protest about not being able to find a proper amount of dry wood on his regular path, and his father stopped him mid-sentence. No, he said. I do not want to hear any excuses, Milo. I have forbidden you to go that way. 
and you will obey my word. You will stay away from that pond from here forth. Do you understand me? Mila knew better than to protest his father's word anymore at this point, but was still bold enough to only ask, Why? His father groaned again and put his knife and block down. I will tell you this only once, my son, and I do not want you to speak of this like a schoolhouse rumor, for you are to keep it to yourself and only to yourself. Now I shall put it plainly. That pond is a bad place. Whatever is there is not meant to be known. I tell you not to go northward because of this reason. I cannot tell you how or why, but I know only this. Ever since the days of my own youth, young men and boys are known to go missing from there, and quite often. Everyone in the village knows this, but they do not speak of it to arouse curiosity. You are forbidden to go northward, you are forbidden to go to that pond, and you are especially forbidden to go up through the... His father stopped himself mid-sentence. Milo found this curious. Forbidden to go up to what? He asked. Forbidden to go there, his father said. That is all I need to say about it. Do you understand me? Milo shook his head. Good, said his father, resumed his whittling. Milo stared into the fire. Creek, Milo thought to himself. He was going to say the creek that led into the woods. Why didn't he say it? Weeks later, Milo found himself in the woods gathering sticks once again. Though he had obeyed his father's wishes and stayed away from the northernmost parts of the village, the curiosity sat inside him like a burning coal. Though he did indeed try to stay out of the north, the pole directed his feet there each time he went out. One day, little by little, he found himself a bit too close and heard something curious. Splashing, loud, frolicking splashing in and out of water. It could have sounded like playing, almost. He carefully placed his bundle of sticks behind a nearby tree so he could sneak easier, and crept his way to the pond, making himself as silent as he could. When he got close enough, he there spotted a small creature no bigger than himself. It had the upper half of a blue boy, and the bottom half that of a fish. There were fins sprouted above his head, and he had big, dark, black eyes was climbing on top of the rock and then diving into the water. Milo gasped and the creature saw him. The creature dived back into the water and stayed below. Milo at first didn't know what to do. He went to the rock where the stone itself was still fresh with the creature's playful splashing. He looked at the pond and tried to make out anything underneath, but couldn't see anything through the cloudy water. He knew he should have left. He knew he should have listened to his father's wishes and departed, leaving the mystery behind. And yet the curiosity still drove him. What could be so bad about a creature that looked to be a boy, about his age? He seemed utterly harmless. Hello, Michael called out into the still pond water. He had heard nothing in return but the babbling creek ahead of him. With no response, he called out again, telling the creature that he meant it no harm, and that it only wished to meet it and communicate with it. Still with no response, he was about to leave and looked down at his reflection in the water. There was something he saw in that water beneath his own eyes. He leaned in and the boy creature rose up from below where his face had been reflected. Milo almost fell back in surprise, and the creature was gone again. I, I apologize, I'm, I'm sorry, said Milo. You just, you gave me such a fright. I, I didn't mean to offend you. Milo listened for a response and heard nothing. Then he heard. 
It came from somewhere in the pond, as if the water whispered the word itself. What? said Milo. N no, I I'm not a liar. I, I didn't mean to. I I'm sorry. No, said Milo. That, that's not it. Not it at all, I promise. It's just, I've never seen anyone like you before. I, I, I want to see someone that's not like me. Why would you want to see me? I am nothing to look at. I do not have a home or a family. I have no others like myself to speak of. It's just me, alone and ugly. No, said Milo, it isn't true. You have this pond and this peace. You don't have to live in a dirty village. You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat. You don't have a stern father. If anything, I wish, I wish I were you. There was a silence. Then it said, You would wish to be me. Milo thought about this. Yes, he said. I do. Milo heard nothing back, and a splashing sound. He looked up and saw the creature at the mouth of the creek, with his fishtail dangling down into the water from a rock. It eyed him with a curious look, blinking at him with his black eyes. Come with me. We can help each other. Milo's heart raced. But m my father said he he's strictly forbidden me to... to... Then it's true. You do not mean what you say. You spit upon my wishes, and yours as well. N no, said Milo. I No, I won't. I... The creature gazed at Milo, then slipped into the water. He was unsure what to do at first, and then thought about it again. He found himself running around the pond as fast as he could to catch up with the boy creature now swimming up the creek. He had made his decision before he had even truly thought about it. When his son had not come back before nightfall, Augustus Earl had become more and more worried. Eventually, as night grew darker and his son had yet to return home, he had found himself wandering the village, going from home to home, asking if anyone had seen him, and every villager he had asked said they hadn't. Tired and ill at ease, Augustus Earl eventually made his way home and sat in front of the cold, empty hearth, head too full of worry to make a fire. And the later it got, and the later with Milo nowhere to be found, he knew that only the worst thing he could think of would have come across him, and dreaded the thought of it. As the people slept, he decided to make his way across the village to find his friend, Sussex Dean. Sussex had been asleep with his family, but awoke him anyway. Apologizing for the intrusion, he had asked to speak with him far away from his home, where his own family's prying ears could not hear their conversation. Standing by the town well, Augustus had asked Dean to speak in a low tone. Half asleep with frustration in his voice, Sussex Dean asked, What's the matter? Do you have any idea what time it is? Keep silent, I said. No one else can hear what we speak of. Milo did not come home today. I'm worried something may have happened to him. He's only but a boy, said Sussex Dean. Perhaps he's loafing about somewhere. Give him until morning, and if you don't see him, we can gather up a search. Augustus Earl shook his head and searched around him before he said what he was about to say. It isn't like that. 
He's found the Tranquility Bond out in the forest. I know my son, and I know that he has gone there. The color drained from Sussex Dean's face. What? What will you do? You, you cannot go looking for him. I have to. I would ask you to come with me, but you have a family of your own. If I do not come back, you'll know what happened. You must tell no one. Yes, yes, I understand, Dean said. Godspeed you, Earl. I wish you the best. Only moments later, Augustus Earl went home and fashioned a crude torch from rags and stuck his whittling knife in his tunic for protection. He went as far as he could in the dark, making sure to stay outside of the view of anyone in the village, then made a small fire to get his torchlight going. He had not been in these parts of the woods since he was just a boy himself. Everything now was so distant and far away. If his son had indeed traveled this far, then it was true that his curiosity had really gotten the best of him. At last, through the dark and the trees, he arrived at the pond itself. He'd never seen this pond with his own two eyes. He had only heard the stories told of him by the elders and the small rumors about town. He had only heard that it was tranquil and lush and buzzed with a harmony in the air that held a deadly, dangerous secret. But as of now, in the dark, the glow of the fire to guide him, Augustus Earl saw none of that here. Perhaps in the daylight, it was an enchanted place full of wonder, but here now, it just looked as ominous and as sinister as anyone would ever suspect, like a stillwater cesspool of an intangible nefariousness. Earl felt a wobble in his knees. He swallowed a dry taste in his mouth and made his way to the opening of the creek. There he went step by step into the high grasses and gnarled branches. Past a certain point, his torch was useless as the moisture and the thickness of the dark was inhospitable to his firelight. Eventually, he threw it into the creek, where it landed with a sizzle, wondering if that very action may have damned him as he trudged forward. With only starlight as his guide and silence blanketing his very ears, he began to hear something off in the distance. It sounded like a humming, a high, soft humming from a child, but not a child of his or any child he knew. Knowing this still, he felt the need to call out. Milo, he said, his voice dampened by the sickness in the trees. Milo, he said again, to no answer. He continued to follow the humming, which was consequently on the same path as the creek itself, with his knife in his hand. And the closer he got, the more and more clear it became. Soon his pantaloons had become soaked with mossy water, and he found himself standing in the midst of a boggy marsh of land. A small fire appeared in front of an enormous old decayed tree adorned with dead branches. Heart pounding, Earl noticed something strange. He could almost make out a small creature on the rocks in front of him. Earl did his best to adjust his eyes to surmise what he was looking at as he approached the small creature facing the fire with its back turned towards him and began to notice there were several pieces of meat hanging off the dead branches, swaying boggy breeze. Milo, said the man to the little creature. Where is Milo? Where is my son? The humming stopped. The little creature with its fish tail turned round to him, with something hanging over its face. It looked to be skin, the skin of a person. Hello, father. I'm Milo now. Do you see? I have become him. 
Augustus Earl now realized the meat hanging off the branches was no meat at all, but faces. Faces of children from his village, long gone, decayed in gray strips of old flesh. He dropped to his knees in the wet marshland and covered his hand with his mouth, realizing now that whatever creature he was looking at before him was wearing the face of his own son. And then, as if a dam had burst in his heart, he had recalled the conversation with his son by the fire. Why, he wondered, hadn't he told his son the truth? Why did he feel the need to shelter him from something he should have known about, and instead decided to be vague and indecipherable about it? The thought burned from his head, and come morning, Augustus Earl's body had floated downstream to that tranquil pond with the sinister tone in the air. His throat slit by his own hand with his own knife. And yet, no one would ever come to know what happened except for the ones curious enough to try and find out. But even they would not know for too long. You have been listening to Stillwater Pond. Written and performed by myself, Nicholas Corrice. Background ambience provided by Tabletop Audio. Support them at tabletopaudio.com. End music provided by bensound.com. Follow me on Instagram at NicholasNoExit. You have been listening to No Exit with Nicholas Corrice.